Please be advised. The following podcast may contain opinions, advice, or other suggestive content regarding mental health, and as we are not experts, should be treated as discretionary. Please consult with a medical professional if you are struggling with mental health issues. Alternatively, if you are experiencing a mental health emergency, please dial 988 or go to your nearest emergency room. Well, we're back, and we're happy to be back. Justin, it's it's been a while since I saw you. I just don't see you enough these days. What's the deal with that, man? <laughs> I miss you, Kevin. We we talked about this. We uh, we're on opposite sides of the country, and we're gonna keep this podcast rolling. We are, uh, you know, we're we're friends first, and I definitely miss California. That's for sure. Um, but you know, it's it's so exciting though. You and I are still able to kind of build and do some cool things remotely, but. Uh, I'm excited for the day that we're getting back out there. What's fun, uh, everybody listening, is that we mentioned before that Kevin and I will be doing some live events and trying to figure out how to take Luminosity to the next level. And so later this year, uh, we have exciting things happening in the fall, one of which will take place in LA. And uh, I think that's the next time I'm going to see you, man, probably in just a couple months. Yeah. Yeah, I miss you too, man. It's just, I, I wish I got to see you more often these days. Um, you're in Nashville right now. <laughs> listener. You Justin's were just in Nashville. in Nashville. Yeah, I was just in Nashville. Okay, so I had a crazy couple weeks, these past couple weeks. We're recording this on July, what is it, 12th? 13th. 13th, yeah. So we, I, I flew from LA to wisconsin to spend the fourth of july at my old like lake house in in northern wisconsin and it was freaking awesome i got to see a ton of old friends and i just sort of got to reset and just chill by the lake um i've been going there since i was eight years old and i yeah my family sold the house when we all moved to la so i just don't get to go back there anymore but um once a year i try to make it back for the fourth and i was able to this year and then I flew from there to Nashville for just one night because I had rehearsals for a gig. Ironically, I was I'm I was scheduled to play in Wisconsin, so I go to Nashville, I rehearse for a night, and then I fly back uh, the next day back up to Wisconsin, and I have this killer show uh, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Man, it was so rad. Oshkosh is such a nice word too. Oshkosh. Oshkosh. Oh, but I'm proud it, of you. Yes, Kevin's yeah, been touring good, and still doing his thing on the road. Someone the other day was asking about luminosity and kind of where him and I want to put our focus and aim and all that good stuff. And I was like, listen, him and I, you know, I'm a producer and host at heart and he's a performer and entertainer at heart. And it's, I love watching you do that. You know, I, I texted your girlfriend right after and I was like, how do you do on stage? And I said, if anybody throws anything at him, like they're doing with Nile Horn yeah. or Harry Styles rather. And I was like, they, if anybody throws something, I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to come kick their butt. Thanks, man. I don't know what the deal is with people throwing stuff at artists on stage. I think it's so disrespectful. But it's luckily, shameful. Yeah, it, it's shameful. I was able to avoid that. What's happening. Yeah, it we, is. We can it digress, though. I mean, you know what it um, is. Yeah. Uh, but I was going to say, um, no, I had this show and it went great. And kelby's cousins they're like five six you know seven years old oh my god they are the cutest kids ever man and they all came to my show and they made these signs uh that they were holding up in the audience backstage like uh, based on my songs and it was just so special i was so grateful my heart was so full um but yeah man like when we do this college campus tour for luminosity i mean the plan, listener, is that I'm going to hopefully uh, do a live set for you guys. I have probably an hour and 15 minutes worth of new material coming up that I'm scheduled to rehearse uh, in early September because I'm going. I have shows in Jacksonville, Florida, Atlanta, and I think Birmingham, Alabama. But that's a completely new set, and I want to bring it uh, to the college campus tour. So if you buy a ticket for the Luminosity college campus tour, like you're also getting a live show with Kevin Quinn. Hopefully that's the plan and the way uh, we have to do it. We're like, it's far. fun. It's fun. Anybody who's been t- tuning into the podcast, you're like, you're, you're with us as we're producing things on the side of this show that, yeah, I mean, hopefully we can meet a bunch of folks. Uh, but yeah, we have a couple of other things we're trying to do as well. Um, but this episode yeah. is on trauma 
and that word can be very triggering for a lot of people. Uh, yeah. As Kevin was talking about his travels with music, I was like, oh God, I'm already traumatized. And I think it's a word that we oftentimes use a lot lighter than we probably should, uh, which is why we wanted to bring it up today. And um, as always, Kevin was so nice to put together all the information so that we can have a thoughtful conversation with facts and, um, you know, everything we need to to make this happen. But uh, Kevin, what was your first thoughts when we were like, we're going to pick trauma as a topic on this mental health podcast? Good question. To be honest, I was a little bit scared because I feel like we've managed to keep the podcast pretty light at this point. And when the idea came about to do an episode of on trauma, I was like, is that a little too heavy for what we're trying to do here? But then I was like, no, I don't want to be afraid to talk about something heavy like that because this is a mental health podcast. And if anything, we should lean in and destigmatize conversations like that. So right. I was like, it's our, it's right. almost like our duty as a mental health podcast to talk about something like trauma uh, so that people, you know, struggling with PTSD or some kind of traumatic experience uh, can attempt to relate and heal. Exactly um, right. Exactly right. That's kind of where my head is at. What do, What do you think? I'd say the same thing. I mean, like I'd said, I think a lot of people use it lightly. For example, if you know you're trying to be funny, you're like, "Oh my god, yeah, Trump. like a joke." I, I mean, was gonna it, say, it really oh, has been traumatic. Like, yeah, oh my god, I like that's so traumatic, or I have trauma from that. And it's until you really understand the definition that you know. I, I think I read this, and that's why I asked you the question. Um, and I'll give you guys the definition here in just a second. Yeah, my first thought was, okay, well, over the course of 27 years, where has my trauma existed and how does it play into my daily life now? And I think it's very important. I, and I'll be honest with you, the past couple of weeks, I've been struggling to think about getting out of my head um, on past events. And I think a lot of people fall into depression for that reason, right? When you're thinking about the past and things that have happened and decisions you've made. And so that was a struggle for two weeks. And I was like, wait, maybe if we did talk about trauma, this will help both you and I and everybody listening really analyze, okay, where does trauma fit into the past and maybe the future and how we can keep acting on uh, a good, healthy daily life um, and not a negative one. But so that's my answer. So true. And before we jump in, I want to make a book recommendation to the listener. You guys should check out a book called The Body Keeps the Score. I read it at a very vulnerable time in my life. Um, I actually, I don't know if I finished it or not. I, I had a lot going on, but I read most of it at least. And uh, it just talks about how trauma is literally stored physically in the body, that it has something to do with the brain associating certain body parts that like if a trauma happens in a certain part of your body that you could like if you experience a trigger that all of a sudden that part of the body can become painful again or something like that um but that not only like does your brain keep mental note of trauma but your body physically keeps uh like physical note of trauma and i thought that was incredible um and it's such a good read for anyone who just wants to better understand trauma um, and it's something that we all experience, you know, and trauma is it looks different. And, and we'll talk about the the different types of trauma. But the truth is, like, the longer we go through life, the more trauma we will experience. I mean, just think about it. It's like, you know, Justin's 27. I'm 26. It's like that's that's a lot of time on this planet. And like a lot can happen in that many years. And it could be something as simple as like, you know, you almost got hit by a car and it was traumatic for you. Yes. And you're, you're, you know what I mean? And your your body can get triggered anytime like a car suddenly stops and you feel like a pain in your chest or something like that's yeah. what I'm talking about. The body keeps the score. Um, but a lot can happen in a lifetime. And, and the body literally stores uh, trauma as you go through life. And it doesn't matter how long ago it was. It, it never loses track, so to speak, of that mm -hmm. trauma. So. Something interesting, but do you want to talk about the, the definition of trauma for our listener? Yes. So if you think about the word trauma, it's an emotional response to a terrible event like an accident, rape, or natural disaster. Clearly things that are just pretty extreme, right? Immediately after the event, shock and denial are typical. Uh, Long-term reactions include unpredictable emotions, flashbacks, strained relationships, and even physical symptoms like headaches and nausea. And this all came from the American Psychological Association. So that definition alone, I mean, again, it, it's it's a bit extreme, but Kevin also brought up PTSD a bit earlier, and I'm sure we'll get into this here in a moment too uh, today. 
I mean, yeah, the definition alone is, is it just feels intense. It's like all the negative things that could happen in your life when they do happen, you know, they, they create trauma. Yeah. It's scary. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's just plain scary. Like trauma is, it's no joke, you know? Um, and obviously like, I agree with that definition. Like, you know, someone experiencing trauma has an, an emotional response to a terrible event, you know, whether it's an accident, rape, natural disaster. Um, so I don't know. It's just, I, I want to talk about the different types of trauma because that might shed some light into like, you know, how trauma arises. And um, so there is the n- number one is acute trauma. It's called acute trauma and it results from a single incident. So this is kind of what I was talking about, which is like, say, for example, you know, someone is walking down the street and almost get hit, hit by a car. Right. That would be a single incident. It's not something that's been like a, a chronic thing that's been happening years and years. It's just like one really bad thing yes. uh, happened. Uh, at this particular time and place, or it could be like, you know, um, a terrorist attack. Like, you know, you hear a lot about like uh, survivors from 9 11, 22, 20, yeah, 22 years ago. Um, that that was a single event and it lasted a day, but that acute trauma was enough that it, it you know, it sticks with them. It lasted a lifetime. You never forget, right? Mm. Um, then there's chronic trauma which is repeated and prolonged, such as domestic violence or abuse. So this is where it steps out of the idea that it's a single event and it's it's um it's it's a almost it's a chronic, ongoing. Yes, it's an ongoing sort of trauma where um yeah, I think that's pretty self-explanatory uh, and how it's different than, you know, an acute trauma or so from a singular event. Mm-hmm. And then there's the third which is complex trauma. And uh, you might recognize it. There's something called complex PTSD, uh, and that's complex post-traumatic stress disorder. But complex trauma is exposure to varied and multiple traumatic events, often of an invasive interpersonal nature. So from my understanding, complex trauma is uh, it could be like a combination of chronic trauma or, you know, three different events that happened that caused acute trauma separately. Right. But they call it complex, I believe, because there's enough trauma there that it it starts to get a little bit more difficult to dissect which trauma was actually caused by this event or that event or, you know what I mean? So it becomes Mm. a little harder for a psychiatrist or a, a professional to sort of attribute where that trauma is coming from because there have been multiple events. So it's a little bit more complex. Um, but nonetheless, that is uh, the third type of trauma. Um, I wonder, and, sorry to pause you. There's something in my brain is saying that like, I think in order to be able to, like you had said, pull things back and 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 figure out what type of trauma it might be, where it stemmed from, how often it might be occurring in your life. Was it a one-off? Was it singular? Is it continuing to go on for any reasons? I think the first word I have to bring up is honesty as people are thinking to themselves right now, like, oh, I okay, well, maybe you do want to write certain things that have happened in your life that were traumatic based on what we just explained with the definition and the types and and really be honest with yourself, what had happened and kind of do your own interpersonal therapy before going and seeing a professional maybe one day soon and and if it gets really to that point but i guess i don't know i just wanted to bring up the keyword honesty as as we're trying to identify trauma and work through it maybe for most people that's great i love that and especially because like if we look back at the definition of trauma like shock and denial are typical and i feel like anyone who's experienced trauma uh might might tend to be in denial before they can actually be honest with themselves so i think that's important that you know, you do sort of have to be honest with yourself. Like, this is the trauma I experienced uh, because the the tendency is to be in denial about it and say, oh, no, that was nothing. That was tra- that wasn't trauma. I'm fine. Um, but you may not be fine. And it's important to recognize that and recognize that denial is a very, very uh, typical response to any kind of traumatic event, um, which is also funny because we tend to be in denial, denial about grief a and lot loss, of things. you know. Yeah, yeah which exactly. we'll talk about we're next gonna, episode. Yeah. Yeah. Our next episode is on grief and loss. Uh so a lot of this this is kind of why we like piggyback these two episodes uh with next to each other. Cause you could argue that like even losing someone is trauma, right? 
Um, but yeah, those are the three main types of yeah. trauma. And then I want to talk about, first of all, before we jump into common signs, I just want to say like trauma doesn't have to be like, oh, I experienced this life threatening event, like, oh, right. a, you know, a shooting or a terrorist attack. Like, yes, that's trauma. Um, but it doesn't always look like that. I mean, it can be a more intricate form of trauma. Like I lived in a household with, say, for instance, uh, a family who invalidated me yeah. and, you know, and made me feel worthless. Like I have an idea. That's trauma, right? Of course, of course. So I think you're hinting, hinting on the fact that there is a spectrum of trauma, right? Let's Absolutely. do this. Before we go into the common signs, which I think we can break down even better if we give an example if you had to give an example of trauma, it could be, it could be, uh, you know, single, it could be, you know, whatever. Um, it could be a small or large trauma, for example, right. Intense or not intense, but if you could give one and I can go first, I'll, I'll give one example of trauma in my life. And maybe by the common signs, we break it down together in which anybody who's listening, I'm sure we might, uh, it'll probably be more helpful to you. What do you think? I love that. I was actually hoping hoping that, you know, we could share like a personal story of trauma. So if, if you have something that you feel comfortable sharing, I would of course uh, really appreciate it. So that. yeah, mine's recent and it has a lot to do with living. Like um just just where I was. So I was living in New York City and it's funny, I told Kevin the story back. It's very simple. It's and it's very not so traumatic to some people, but it bothered me. So in New York City, you are always going to be living in very close quarters of the person next to you, your neighbors, you know, your doormat, whatever. And uh, about a year and a half ago, before I decided to just jump ship and go to Nashville and LA, uh, I was, I feel like I was forced out of New York City. And what was so traumatizing to me was I had a neighbor who was constantly drunk in the hallway and on drugs and come to find she was doing pills and alcohol. It was, to me, it was traumatic because it was so nasty. It was just felt like dirty. And I was like, this is a luxury building in the city. I did not you know, I did not choose this building to be next to someone that's so gross. And uh, time and time again, it was the reoccurring one, actually. It's funny. It, not funny. It's a, It's interesting how it was a chronic trauma now that we're talking about it. Um, and sorry, maybe it's complex, right? Yeah, it's complex trauma that over, time and time again, she was on the floor or just running up and down the hallway uh, drunk, and it would start waking me up out of my sleep. And I heard from a psychiatrist a long time ago that when you're woken up out of your sleep, Sometimes that can trigger even deeper amounts of trauma based on whatever that was, right? So fast forward, you know, I just decided to move out and sublet my apartment and run away from the situation in which I thought I was being in denial, right? Or I was avoiding the, the situation, but it was so traumatic because I wouldn't be able to sleep without, you know, headphones in thinking that she was going to do it again or wake me up out of my sleep, or I couldn't cut the corner of my hallway without thinking she was going to be there laying on the floor passed out because it had happened so many times. One and done understood, right? If you're just drunk on the floor, like I guess it happens in, uh, you know, apartment buildings, but it was very, very traumatic to see it time and time again. And then not to mention the couple of times she had woken me up out of my sleep in the hallway, right? So that's my example. And I don't know if I fully worked through it because when I went to LA and now that I'm in Nashville and then I'll be in the Hamptons next week, like there's moments where it, the, the trigger to me is if I'm woken up out of my sleep with disturbing, you know, disturbing people or, you know, people doing stuff, or if I feel like I'm not in a quiet place and I feel like I'm sharing space with people when I'm trying to be in like my bed or like, you know, a setting that's very private to me. Uh, and, and so there's moments even in the past year and a half that the trauma was triggered. Uh, and now I'm realizing that it was definitely complex trauma because it was multiple occurrences of the same types of things happening within, you know, such a short amount of time. And uh, yeah, so to, to finish that thought, I just blew it out. And I was like, find a subletter, get out, move. And before you know it, of course, my life changed for the better moving out of that city. But, you know, a part of me was like, oh, well, crazy neighbor was the reason I did that. So I have to look at the bright side, which is sometimes these traumatic experiences do push you in a more positive direction somehow. Yeah. And I remember you told me that story and, you know, just hearing about what had happened to you. Like, first of all, I just want to say you started telling that story by saying like, oh, I don't know if this is considered as traumatic as what some other people might experience. So I just want to like encourage you right now, like don't, don't let like comparison or, you know, anyone's opinions on, on whether that was a certain level of trauma 
Mm. Don't let that uh, diminish the the experience for you because what mm -hmm. you experience, like if that's trauma to you, then that's that's trauma, right? Mm. That's what we're talking about. Like trauma You're comes right. in all different forms. I have a friend who I met in Arizona. He lives in LA, but we met in mental health treatment and uh, he's amazing. He's he's like a brother to me uh, and he is a veteran and, you know, he has uh, PTSD and he has it pretty severely. He has like flashbacks and stuff and um, because he experienced something uh, pretty traumatic during his time in service that he told me about. And I told him that I had a working diagnosis of PTSD based on, you know, what the doctors at our treatment center were telling me, um, which I don't know in retrospect was the most accurate diagnosis for what I was going through, but it was sort of, like I said, a working diagnosis. Um, but I was like, oh man, like I'm going to tell my friend here that like I have PTSD when it's nothing compared to what his PTSD looks like with like these yeah. flashbacks and what he experienced. And he reassured me. He's like, Kevin, that's trauma. Like don't trauma is trauma. Like you need to understand mm, that. trauma is matter. trauma. Yeah. And I was like, that is really wise and really kind of him to say, like he wasn't diminishing my version of trauma and he was smart enough to understand that it comes in different forms as someone who actively deals with it every day so i have mm. like the utmost respect for for what he told me um when we were talking about it um but that's kind of my point which is like in our journeys of trauma and healing don't ever compare your trauma to another's uh version of trauma because it's always going to look different right we all have different life experiences um so i'll true. go into like sort of what I experienced. I have a, a, a few traumas in my life, actually more than a few. <laughs> um, well, uh, let's see. I, I, I'm going to go back early enough to the, when I was eight years old. And I don't think I've ever shared this with anyone, uh, especially not, you know, being a public figure. I just haven't felt the need to share this, but I think, you know, now is the the right opportunity and, and on this podcast, which I consider to be a safe space. When I was eight years old, I started developing ticks. Do you know what ticks are? You've told me a couple of times, but indefinitely, yeah. I don't. Like T-I-C-S, like ticks, like people with Tourette syndrome have ticks, mm. right? When they, they could clear their throat <clears throat> or they might, you know, like click their tongue and it's like an involuntary thing. And they can't mm. control it. It's like, it's really hard to explain because you think like, oh, it's your body. You should be able to control it. Um, but I started developing ticks when I was eight and they were very, very severe uh, to the point that they were interfering with my daily life. Like I, I had this shoulder twitch and I had a leg twitch and like sometimes it would prevent me from walking in a straight line. And I literally had no control over it. It was amazing because it's like, how is it that the human body, like sure. you sort of lose control of your own body and it really is an involuntary thing. And I went to see a neurologist at uh, Rush University in, in Chicago and they started like running some tests on me. And one of the doctors had asked me if I had strep throat recently. And my mom said, yeah, actually, he did. Why do you ask? And she said, well, strep throat, there's this thing that we're trying to understand more called pandas. It's spelled like pandas, like the bear, P-A-N-D-A-S. And it sort of, it's like strep throat that the infection, the viral load spreads to an area of the brain called the basal ganglia, which controls like motor movements um, you know, like sort of autonomous functioning, stuff like that. And that strep throat can spread uh, to this part of the brain and actually cause ticks. And my mom was like, well, that's interesting because he he had just gotten over it, like when these started developing. And, you know, I didn't think much of it at the time because I was eight years old. Like, what am I supposed to think? Like, oh, yeah, I've got pandas, whatever, ticks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was just sort of like, this sucks. Like, what what's going on with me? Let's, you know, help me, mom. Um and it sucked. But the thing is, I started doing treatment for these ticks and like taking medication and they would not go away. And so by that point, like, you know, I'm still eight years old. I'm in maybe second grade. And all of a sudden I start showing up to school and I've got these ticks and I'm I feel like these kids looking at me like, what's wrong with Kevin? You know, um, like, why is he 
you know, clearing his throat so much? Or why is he twitching his shoulder? That's weird. You know, an eight-year-old kid, I, I feel terrible for myself in retrospect that I had to go through that. And here's the thing. It lasted four years. Years. Uh, and the only time I felt relief was when I got on stage uh, and I was acting. All of a sudden, my tics completely disappeared and I could do these like theater shows without any tics. And it was the most amazing thing. Um, and that's that's kind of why I fell in love with it, because it's almost like it it was like therapy for me. And sometimes I forget that. Right. So here I am at 26. Uh, and believe it or not, I still have tics. Are they anywhere near as severe as they once were? No. You know, it's gotten much better as I got older. It definitely seemed to be like more of a, a childhood developmental illness thing. Um, but every now and then I might have like a shoulder twitch or clear my throat once or twice. Um, and it just comes out of nowhere. Does it interfere with my daily life like it used to? Not really. Do people notice it? Not really. Um, but that trauma of feeling like I had to hide something from my peers or that I something was wrong with me uh, because I, I was, you know, I had these tics um, that I was abnormal. That was trauma for me. And you could argue that the tics and that trauma led to future uh, issues with my mental health, because believe it or not, the mental health disorders that I struggle with today that don't necessarily involve tics to that extent uh, do involve the part of the brain called the basal ganglia. Mm. And if I trace it back in my history long enough, I think, well, shit, could it have been that like this all started when I had strep when I was eight years old, uh, that it caused all these problems later in life. And one of my biggest like traumas, so to speak, is every night when I go to sleep, actually this started maybe like uh, three years ago, I would go to sleep and I would never feel like I was fully asleep. Like I wasn't- You told dreaming. me that when we first met, I remember. Right. Yeah, I told you that I wasn't dreaming for like a year. And I was like, I never feel like I'm fully asleep. Like, you know, there's supposedly four stages of sleep. I feel like I always make it to two or three, but I'm never in that like dream REM state. Um. And a lot of nights, in fact, most nights, I would wake up next to Kelby screaming and I'd be like, ah, and I, Kelby would like freak out. And I, I felt so bad that like she had to deal with that and it, testament to how much she loves me. I, I'm so grateful because uh, she stuck with me through it and she had a lot of sleepless nights too. Um, but she's like, okay, we need to go see a doctor about this because, you know, this isn't sustainable. And so I went to a doctor and this all happened around like my mental health journey this past year. And they figured out that it seems that in my sleep, I was dissociating. And we've talked about dissociation on this podcast before, yeah. but dissociating is when the body, uh, or I should say the mind and the sense of self sort of gets removed from the body to the point that it feels like you've sort of like died, right? It's a miserable feeling. I hate it. But apparently I was doing this in my sleep every night and I was on tour in 2022 and I would do this every night in my bunk. I would like wake up sweating and, you know, dissociated with no memory of where I was. And so they prescribed me this medication called gabapentin, which changed my life. Um, and I take it every night. Uh, and ever since then, um, I, I no longer dissociate in my sleep and I sleep like a baby. Um, but Proof that medication can help with trauma, uh, and they do think the reason why I brought that story up is because the dissociation that I was experiencing in my sleep was a result of certain traumas, which um, you know hopefully I'll, I'll share at another time. But I'm not quite ready to share those yet. Anyway, that's my story. You know, you had your story. Um, <laughs> that's that's mine. So thanks for listening. I know it was long. No, and I appreciate you sharing that because. You said it. Trauma is trauma. All of our lives are so different, so complex. And as you and I bring more awareness to topics like this, it's so nice to know that all of us who are listening, you, you and myself, including, you know, it's kind of, I don't know if it's meant to be part of the life journey or if it just so happens to be part of it. But the more you and I talk about these things, the more everything kind of becomes more and more clear you know, especially something like this. So then you have common signs, which we'll hit on. I'll take the first two, you take the second two. Yeah. How's that cucumber, by the way? It's so good. I'm working on my diet. 
You know, actually speaking of trauma, literally, uh, when I was a kid, I used to overeat. And so now that I'm 27, I'm trying to work on portion control, not necessarily what I'm eating, just how much of food I'm actually eating and intaking. And uh, portion control has really helped my mental health. Not kidding. But there's days where, you know, you're nice. chewing on a donut and, you know, I'm chewing on whatever. A cucumber. Justin and it could be, has a much yeah. better diet than I do, listener. Well, I have I'm a jealous. cucumber to every donut he has, right? I'm the cucumber. You know what I had for breakfast donut. this morning? What? Actually, I was going to tell you. Uh, have you ever heard of Levain Bakery? I think they're of based in Why East Why are Hampton. you eating cookies in the morning? You know, they just opened up a shop on Larchmont Boulevard right by my house. Oh, no. Nice. I went there this morning and had a cookie for breakfast. That's so Kevin. So Kevin. You know, I am proud of you, though. It, it, your diet aside, you are waking up way earlier than I when I first met you. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. Which we'll get on. We'll, we'll get more to that later. I think we should go over yeah. routines and routines and mental health later down the line. So. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, listener, I'm so cozy right now. This is the first time uh, I'm I'm in the process of moving. So like my house is kind of a wreck right now. Like all the paintings are off the wall and we've got these boxes. And um, But it's a, I live in a really old apartment building, as I've told you. And believe it or not, we don't have AC. We just have like this, uh, this portable AC unit that like goes into the wall. And it's only in our living room. So our bedroom gets like really hot at night. And... I bought this Pottery Barn pullout couch like maybe a couple of years ago and it has this bed like I bought it for the reason like if it gets too hot in the bedroom then I can like come out here and turn on the AC and like sleep out here but right now I am lounging on the pullout bed and this is the first episode that I'm recording with my legs spread on the bed and chilling and taking it easy and it's the perfect setting for a podcast about it trauma is. because I feel safe. You know what I mean? We should have we should do that when we get back in person to recording is being so comfortable like on a couch. Like when you're sitting down with your best friend or your therapist, you should be comfortable on a couch. Yeah, it's so much better. Like because yeah. usually I record these like at my dining room table and I feel like my shoulders are tense and I'm like, you know, hunched over the, the computer and like in an uncomfortable chair. And now I'm just like you know, living my best life on this bed, manspreading. It's awesome. I've never heard manspread. We're going to move on. Cognitive changes is <laughs> is one major sign. Uh, these are intrusive thoughts, nightmares, and flashbacks of the event. Confusion, uh, difficulty with memory and concentration, and mood swings. So these are just cognitive things that can be happening while you're dealing with uh, results of trauma. And I want to hit on this really quickly on the first one, that yeah. this... So nightmares is one thing. I think flashbacks is another. These are all dealing with the the. In, in, these are things in your head, regardless. But this idea of like intrusive thoughts, um, I think there's management of that that a lot of us can work on. Nightmares, I mean, give or take. When you're unconscious, it's a little hard to like manage your nightmares, and when you know you have certain flashbacks and things like that. But this intrusive thought, I think you can always control kind of what thoughts are coming in and out and you can kind of almost appreciate them. So I just wanted to hit on that. Like as you're dealing with trauma and you're trying to identify what it is, what had happened and, and, you know, look for almost like that positive lens and say, listen, okay, with that had happened, did you have control? Did you not have control? More importantly, what can you do going forward? But just to appreciate the fact that even if something so negative has happened in your life, you have an opportunity to tr train your brain, which takes a long time. Kevin and I currently and forever will be on this journey to try and train our brains as well. But there's methods and techniques. And again, like if it's so traumatic, you know, medicines and certain psychiatric um, things that you can be doing. But more importantly, like I think you can start inside your head as well. But then, yeah, again, so confusion, difficulty with memory, concentration and mood swings. I mean, it almost makes sense, right? It's a no, it, it's a no brainer for all the things that are happening in your brain that these would be it. But anyway, that's the first one. Um, the second one, altered behavior patterns, which kind of goes to the mood swings, which was within the first cognitive changes, you know, avoiding people in places that remind you of the experience and withdrawing from family, friends, and activities you once enjoyed. That's important. So instead of like, I don't know, like altered behavior patterns, I was like, okay, well, maybe that just means alternative behavior patterns. Um, if something has ever happened to you that was traumatic, I mean, my example is a good example for that. I got out of the situation and anything that reminds me of like the neighbor, 
the situation in the apartment building or the building itself. I don't really care for like if I see a building with dark, you know, hallways that are just too enclosed, I start getting a little claustrophobic because that's how I felt when I was going through that traumatic situation of mine. Um, and then withdrawing from friends, families, and activities you once enjoyed, understood. If you were at a good place in your life, you were happy, fulfilled, or you, you know you were you were feeling joy in whatever environment or situation you were in, and a traumatic situation disrupted that, I really believe that it would be healthy, right? To withdraw, Kevin, would you agree? Like to withdraw completely and maybe try to revisit it later, or do you try to stick it through and work? You know, like how do you work through trauma in an environment, I guess is my question. Absolutely. I mean, withdrawal from friends and family is like one of the pillars of, from what I understand, PTSD, um, because it, think about it, it makes the most sense, right? Like if you avoid the potential or perceived danger from the situation that you perceive to be there, uh, then avoiding it all altogether would be the, a way to keep yourself safe, right? Um, at least that's the the thought process behind the the perception, right? Right. Um, so that makes complete sense to me. Um, there are psychological concerns also which are common signs uh, which i'll go into here anxiety and panic attacks have you have you ever had a panic attack it was not severe but one time when i was living in brooklyn my first year in new york city um i was having issues breathing and That's i just i don't think i've yeah I, I, for sure i think it's definitely a symptom of but i didn't realize it was a panic attack because i never i didn't check on it enough but it, for a while there I was having difficulty catching my breath and I started figuring out that my body was so tense and New York was pretty claustrophobic. Again, maybe I have claustrophobia. I should go check that out. But for sure, uh, that's the one panic attack I can really think of. And it was ongoing. It was for several weeks. I'd have to lay down and practice breath work with my mom and yeah. really tap into my mindset a bit just to kind of figure out like where I was having issues breathing. And I think all of it was anxiety induced. Absolutely. And usually it is, right? Um, right. But that's such a common experience with panic attacks, which is like the, you know, your breathing might get heavy, uh, your heartbeat might race. I mean, I've had probably like three or four panic attacks. And one of them, I was on work in Nashville in a hotel room and I like dissociated in my sleep, this whole thing we were talking about. And I, it freaked me out and I panicked and I called 911 and I, an ambulance came and they like checked me out. And um, even though they were like, you know, this is probably just a panic attack. Um, it, the thing is, it's easy to say that like, oh, you just got to calm down your breathing and like everything's OK and just realize that. But when it's happening in the moment, it's almost impossible to do that. Like I have such uh, jealousy, sort of, so to speak, for like people who can actively like get themselves out of a panic attack. I don't know how they do it. It's like mm -hmm. a panic attack. And I don't experience them regularly. I think we've all probably had like one or two moments where like you could argue is a panic attack right but when you do have it in life it, it's you can tell like this is different and panic is like the worst emotion that a human being can experience yeah. in my opinion i mean it's like especially in a traumatic event right like people panic in traumatic events and it's like this fight or flight response um and and you could argue that's a panic attack right so i'm not surprised that like panic attacks would be a, a lingering symptom of someone who's experienced a traumatic event because in that moment of trauma as it was happening mm. more than likely they probably panicked right you know i have a thought before you continue there's a lot of great <clears throat> things to bring up under the psychological concerns the one thing i think has gotten me and it might be for a lot of people i've just i keep myself around really calm environments and people and I now, and this was yesterday, I was in the elevator and I saw someone not panicking, but I'm starting to see the anxiety levels of other people at like a really pretty like high notch scale because I've tried my best. I'm still working on this. And Kevin sees it every time we talk. I try to stay so calm and collected in not just in case, but my flight or my flight, what is it called? My flight or flight, whatever flight or flight, or flight. response is always to lead with calmness and and listen i have a very high energy personality but day in and day out it's kind of gotten me through so if you're struggling you know with anxiety or you know severe panic attacks to some to some degree i i, I really encourage you to practice being calm and i don't know what that looks like is it your environment plus your routines and you know how you talk how slow you talk anyway i just wanted to bring that up 
calmness is like calmness and stillness really are very powerful. Absolutely. And actually that reminds me a lot about EMDR therapy, which we're going to get into here in our how to heal section um, because stillness is sort of part of that. Anyway, so we have anxiety and panic attacks, part of psychological concerns. We also have fear, understandable, anger, irritability, obsessions and compulsions, shock and disbelief, emotional numbing and detachment, which is kind of this dissociation that we're talking about here as a sort of um, protective mechanism should someone start to feel uncomfortable emotions. You know, they sort of emotionally check out. And that's kind of what dissociation is and how it's a, a symptom and, and relates to like PTSD and other uh, common signs of trauma. Depression, shame and guilt, especially if the person dealing with the trauma survived while others didn't. And we all know this to be survival, survivor's guilt, you know, the phenomena of survivor's guilt. And a lot of times I, I think it's fair to put that in in this section because a lot of times these types of trauma have to deal with when the life of a human being is threatened. Um, and I think the most intense traumas arise from a moment when a human being felt that in this moment they could die, um, which is a terrifying thing. And, you know, most of us are blessed to not go through life having ever been in a position where we, you know, almost died. But there are plenty of people out there who have been in the position where something happened uh, and they were part of something that genuinely threatened their life. And if it, especially if it took um, the lives of other people around them in that moment, then survivor's guilt is one of the most common uh, lingering symptoms. We also have physical problems, difficulty falling or staying asleep, right? <laughs> I kind of experienced this myself with uh, you know, my insomnia and the, and the dissociation at night. Becoming easily startled, uh, started yeah, no uh typo become easy becoming easily startled hyper vigilance and edginess so when i was talking about my buddy uh the veteran one of the things he struggles with the most and he's been open to uh with me about is uh hyper vigilance Co constantly oh. feeling like you're paranoid or on edge that at any given time your life could once again be threatened even though you are likely perfectly safe rapid heartbeat unexplained aches and pains the body keeps the score remember that sexual dysfunction, altered eating patterns, muscle tension, and extreme exhaustion. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the physical is ran by the mind, I think, <clears throat> you know, which is why- That's so true, though. That's a great everything observation, we've covered is, it, yeah, everything The mind we've controls covered the body, right? Absolutely. There, we because tend to think of them as separate entities. They're not. No, they're so connected. I mean- yeah, we can go down that rabbit hole on another episode because I want to get to the healing parts and and there's so much we can all be doing right you know right now in your life, having dealt with or maybe even going to deal with certain things that we've just talked about. I really believe that it starts in your head. Oh, it starts in your head and takes time. You got to work on this stuff, folks. I think all of us listening, we're all trying to better our well being, and you have to really focus on your mind. And you have to focus on, you know, taking topics like this or certain areas of your life uh, and identifying them, being very honest and not avoiding them. Or as he'd mentioned earlier, being in denial of certain things. It's just, you know, if it doesn't feel right, it's not right, you know, but anyway, so I just, I am, oh gosh, that just makes me so tickled. I think that in the mind, you gosh, like it's the little things like you are what you focus on or, you know, if you yeah. are experiencing certain traumatic situations, okay, well then in your mind, just try to get so sh like straight edged on where you should be and what brings you peace. And this extreme exhaustion is real. And a lot of times I'm just mentally exhausted. And so I've started picking out little things day to day where I know I'm not going to be exhausted because I'm only spending X amount of time mentally thinking about certain things, right? Compartmentalization is huge or, Again, like identifying just what's actually going on, easier said than done. I'm sure everybody's thinking to themselves like, all right, dude, well, even if I'm 27 and Kevin's 26, like, but it takes talking about these things to whomever you trust and whatever environment feels the most comfortable is, you know, I just wanted to make sure that was very clear. Well, let's move on to healing because I think it would be a shame if we didn't talk about it on this episode, because again, our, our goal here is to help people 
uh, dealing with trauma and provide resources, right? That's part of Luminosity's mission as a brand is to provide resources. Um, so I want to start with CBT, which is known as cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, this is a pretty common mental health treatment for people dealing with not just trauma and PTSD, but um, things like bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder. Um, it's a pretty multifaceted form of therapy that involves just that, right? Cognitive behavioral therapy sort of uh, actively changing the behaviors uh, around your thought processes. So if you're having a thought that says like, I'm in danger, right? Then cognitive behavioral therapy would say, you know, beg the question, am I really in danger or am I safe? So you're, you're sort of being aware of your thoughts and changing them as they happen. Um, that's cognitive behavioral therapy as I understand it. Then there's CPT, cognitive processing therapy. I don't know too much about this one, but anytime you're dealing with the word processing, it usually has to do with memory. Um, and these are like therapies that have to do with processing, uh, you know, former memories or, or things that uh, someone has experienced in the past uh, and sort of changing the narrative, so to speak, um, around what happened. That's my understanding. There's also PE therapy, prolonged exposure therapy. Um, my guess is here would be, you know, say someone is dealing with trauma and their trauma, uh, let's go back to the, the getting hit by a car example. The prolonged exposure therapy would be sort of, I imagine, visualizing yourself standing in front of a car as it comes towards you and then before it hits you, it stops and you're perfectly safe. So you're exposing yourself to the emotions and the fear and the panic, but at the end of it, you're creating a safe outcome for yourself that uh, through that prolonged exposure of the experience and revisiting it in your head, you're changing the narrative uh, to a, a pleasant outcome and that that will sort of dictate uh, your memory of the experience as it happened. Um, that also leads me to EMDR therapy, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. So there again, we have uh, the word processing, which has to do with memory. Fun fact, I've actually tried EMDR therapy. I uh, tried it in mental health treatment at one point, and it's pretty amazing. Um, the story goes that the creator of this form of therapy, it's a newer therapy, I believe, was walking down the sidewalk and she was experienced, she was like a therapist or some kind of psychologist, and she was experiencing this memory. And she noticed that as she was actively remembering this past event, her eyes would move side to side. So she would look on her right and she saw these like plants on, you know, the side of the sidewalk. And she looked to her left, she saw the street, and she noticed that as she was lost in this memory, so to speak, her eyes were going side to side. Um, and focusing on these two objects, plant street, plant street, or at least that's the story that I was told by uh, my EMDR therapist at the time. And she realized, wow, it seems that memory reprocessing has to do with the movement of the eyes, that somehow those are connected. And so she said, what if I can harness that and put people in the position of moving their eyes to trigger visualizations uh, as they as they recall a memory so she started doing like these tests or whatever like these you know trying to figure it out and eventually she mastered it and she figured out that if you put on headphones and listen to a beep that goes beep 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 from right to left ear uh, and you close your eyes and you sort of your eyes will follow the beeping that your ears are hearing as the therapist walks you through uh, and and ask you to recall the memory that it is that you want to address. And any licensed EMDR therapist will sort of guide you through the memory as you are listening to these beeps and your eyes are moving. And they'll ask, they'll sort of recreate the narrative based on what you told them before you started the session to create a positive experience as opposed to a negative one based on the particular trauma or event that you are hoping to change which is pretty amazing if you think about it that like just one person was able to figure this out uh, and it does work. Right. So at the end of it, like I remember when I tried it, um, they ask you to finish with uh, coming up with a word that, that typifies the experience for you. 
Um, so for instance, like if you have a memory of you in the, the EMDR session, looking over, uh, the city of LA and you're in a house and you're safe, then they'll say, what do you see? And you might say lights, right? And it's a pleasant memory in that moment. And as soon as you say the word lights, your brain actually subconsciously creates new neurotransmitters and, um, pathways to the reward system like dopamine and stuff that anytime you say the word lights in your day-to-day -day life post emdr therapy your brain will remember this specific memory just like it were if you were to see have seen it in a dream a pleasant dream um, and it creates a positive uh, pathway of neurotransmitters and, and dopamine from my understanding to the point that it actually changes a negative experience into a positive one just by like saying a word. It's like your word is your trigger to positively experience and change that memory again. Pretty amazing stuff. I know it works like a charm for people struggling with trauma and PTSD. Um, didn't you say you tried it at one point, Justin? Tried it DR? Yeah. No. I should. I, you should. And if, I mean, my recommendation to you as a friend, um, like Kelby has done it too. Um, cause she had like this one trauma she was hoping to address from her childhood and she loved it. Um, I think my mm. mother has also tried it too. Um, and you don't need to do it like regularly. It's just like, if you have something you want to address, uh, you can, yeah. um, but if I were you, like, especially that apartment story that you've told me about, like, if that's something that still bothers you or you feel you have like lingering symptoms of trauma from that, uh, I would talk to like an EMDR therapist about that. My oh. recommendation as a friend. I love your recommendations always. This last one's expressive arts, uh, which is such a Kevin thing, creative writing and theater. And as you'd mentioned at the top of this podcast episode, that getting on stage somehow removed, yeah, you know, certain, so not, there's proof not all of your tics. That were yeah, done. I'm, I'm uh, living proof that that is true. Expressive arts heal trauma. Mm -hmm. There's many things. Is. I mean, it's like, these are the healing processes via therapy and, and arts. But I think now, for anybody listening, as we wrap up here, there's no way in the world that you're alone going through these things. There's no way that what you've been through, some other people haven't experienced as well. And if that goes to you and finding a therapist or just listening to Kevin and I and finding a family member or friend that you trust to start these conversations with, uh, identif identification, right? Identify what some of these traumas might have been and how they're affecting you today. And you could be at a very healthy place in your life, but if you just acknowledge that trauma exists after this episode. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's things you do want to address to make you more healthy and happy uh, and fulfilled in your life and your lifestyle, you know? So I it hope this was helpful. Life, listener. It could, it could really, you know, trauma is something that sticks with us, right? The body keeps the score. And if you address what your personal traumas are and, and actively work to heal them, it, it can change your life for the better. So we hope this helped. That's right. And all the resources will be linked below. Uh, everything we discussed, uh, again, hopefully it added value to you. We're excited to bring you another episode on grief and loss next, which will be really, uh, I, I just think we'll either have a bonus episode on it or um, it'll be a long one. So I know a lot of us have um, a lot of situations with grief and loss in different ways. It doesn't have to be someone that you actually lost, right? Um, so that'll be a really interesting episode that we'll dive into. But uh, until we get you that next episode, we're so excited that you clicked play here today. And uh, this was the Luminosity Mental Health Podcast. Uh, and I'm Justin Crawford. And I'm Kevin Quinn. And we'll talk to you guys later. Mm -hmm.